This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast by going to the RSN website and clicking on Women's Australian Rules Football or finding us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Coming up in this week's show, yes, we'll be talking about the news from last week Danny Marshall, the first woman from the United States Australian Football League to sign an AFLW contract. And we're going to be catching up with Cameron Richardson of Global Sports 360. He's the sports agent who spotted Danny back in July last year in Los Angeles and convinced her to take the path that would lead her coming to Melbourne, trialling with the Western Bulldogs and eventually signing an AFLW contract. That inside story coming up very shortly. Uh, speaking of things American, we're going to be checking in with the United States States Australian Football League's media manager Brian Barish for a report on the Central Regional Tournament played in Colorado over the weekend. Also, we'll check in with Mariana Graham on the final round of the AFL London Women's League. Plus, we've got our State Leagues wrap as we check in with Lauren Hodgson on the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division and Matthew Cox looking back at the VFL Women's Competition. That's all coming up. And now joining us on the line here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, the man responsible for getting American Danny Marshall to Australia, which would eventually lead her to being the first player out of the US AFL on the women's side to sign an AFLW contract. It's great to have on the line Cameron Richardson. Cameron, how are you? I'm great, Peter. How are you? It's great to have you on the line because I'm excited. Ryan Barish, who we've spoken to and people here later on in the program, is excited. In fact, the whole USAFL is excited. You've got an American over the line. Danny Marshall signed to the Western Bulldogs. Yeah, it's an incredible story, an absolutely incredible story, Peter. I, met, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Danny on a, I was just on a holiday in Los Angeles watching some games in in LA, and, and she was playing um, with the Arizona Hawks against the Denver Bulldogs. And, um, you know, all I saw when I was over there was this five foot ten gazelle, as I used to call her, running around, um, doing everything and, you know, scout marking out, kicking, um, out running anyone else on the ground. And, and then when I got to meet her and found that she'd only been playing foot, footy for three months, I thought, wow, there's, there's something here. So and it, it sort of flowed from there. Now, before we go into depth about Danny and everyone goes, who's this random guy who just spotted Danny Marshall in Los Angeles of all places? Explain a little bit about your sporting background. Oh, it's a very modest uh, sporting background, Peter. Myself, I was very, very fortunate about 22 um, to to get a job at the um, Western Bulldogs through the fight back through the Save the Dogs days in 1989. That, that happened by chance. Um, I was a football umpire. Um, with the VFA and on the VFL cadet squad and, and always followed, you know, traditional Australian family upbringing of footy in the winter and cricket in the summer and, and cricket was my real passion. And um, But I umpired footy and then just luckily enough, fell into a job at the Western Bulldogs and probably had the best four or five years of my life, for, to be honest. And, you know, I've still got lifelong friendships um, from those days. Um, just a special time in my life that... Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was phenomenal. So my own sporting background is extremely modest, mate. So I wouldn't take that. Uh, uh, I wouldn't take that too far. We we'll, we'll use those words. 
um, to describe it. It's probably the best way to describe it. But in sports administration, you know, I've been involved in AFL footy, um, the Australian Baseball League with John Deeble and the Melbourne Monarchs, um, and I've sat on cricket committees and now on a cricket sports agency business. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's where I sit at the moment. Yes, Global Sports 360, and that's where your tie into women's sports uh, come from because I believe you've got uh, more than half a dozen or so women's cricketers on your books. Yeah, I manage about 15 um, professional um, female cricketers that play the WNCL and the WBBL, and the, and the girls are fabulous young ladies to look after, um, and I have a lot of fun doing that and really enjoy helping the girls out. They're very, very grateful Um for the assistance and you know, and to see um, you know women's cricket and women's football flourishing is is absolutely phenomenal, and it's a, you know I'm very fortunate to be involved, and um, you know it's a privilege position I have to be able to assist the girls and guide the girls, and and you know hopefully give them the right sort of guidance, um, both you know both on and off the field um, to help their careers flourish, and, and um, yeah things are going really well on that front as well at the moment. You talk about helping and assisting the girls, and I guess uh, cricket and football are virtually almost on parallel paths with how young they are in their uh, professional uh, uh, leagues. Um, how different do you have to, I guess, um, work with young girls when they start to come into a professional career as opposed to boys, for example? For years upon years, it's expected that you go through the ranks, TAC Cup, you're going to get a professional contract. You don't really have to worry about uni or work. You're now a full-time footballer for life. How do you approach it with women who are entering professional sports for the first time, but unlike the men, most of them are semi-professional and also having to balance uh, their life outside of sport. That, that's that's exactly right, Peter. The, the, the girls really, really do a phenomenal job because most of the girls, because the income levels at the moment aren't um, near where the boys are. Cricket's done an outstanding job for girls in this first MOU, but um, girls are still not earning you know, they're only probably earning, um, and unless you're an Australian player, um, if you're a state cricketer or a WNCL cricketer on average contracts, the girls are still not earning the average wage in the country. So they have to balance their life between finding some part-time work and effectively managing a full-time career. So, you know, I focus on the, the time management aspect with the girls um, a lot. Um, you know, I, I think it's important too that outside this sport, that they do have something, either some study or some work, actually, that's really good for them because it takes, it's a high pressure environment because young girls are coming out of, you know, uh, you know, the school environment or the university environment into the high pressure cutthroat environment of professional sport. And that's a real adaptation phase. So, you know, my role is to give some advice and consultancy, make sure the game is still fun for them. And it's still a game at the end of the day that we, we, we embrace the pressure, we embrace the stress that you deal with in, in day to day sporting life. Um, they've got to mix that with, um, um, you know, a part time job. And in, in one of my players' cases, specifically a young lady by the name of Erica Kershaw, the place for the Melbourne Renegades, she does a full time job in fraud investigation. And so she works a full 38 hour week in a really serious job and then a full, you know, 30 hour a week training for cricket as well. So her time management is absolutely crucial. So it's, it's about, as I said, assisting the girls, making sure they still realize it's a game at the end of the day. It's got to be fun doing it because they're, they're under the pump. 
and um, you know they're under the spotlight now. As, as much as it is fabulous to be involved in professional sport, that brings the scrutiny and the pressures that it brings on an athlete. And you know, you know my role is to is to support them, guide them, help them, back them to the hilt, um, and, and believe in them. You know, believe in the players when. They might, they might even stop believing in themselves at times. So, um, yeah, that, that's where I see the role, role um, being absolutely crucial and paramount. So as we turn our attention to North America, as you said, you were over there on holidays. Um, was this the first ever United States Australian Football League game you had witnessed or had you seen uh, some in the past? I note that you were wearing a Denver Bulldogs T-shirt. No, I'd actually, um, through a, a, an old baseball mate of mine, a great friend, James Mattel, who's president of the of the Denver Bulldogs footy club, um, I'd actually seen, I'd been over in 2011 and actually umpired some games in, in the USAFL and, and assisted some of the umpires over there. And I was very fortunate that year that the AFL sent Brett Kirk over as an ambassador. And, and Brett he was travelling with his family and his children. It was Absolutely phenomenal um, experience to be able to meet him. He's one of the best humans I've ever met on the planet. And um, I was actually over there in 2011. And I, I travelled to the US quite frequently in source of games in 2014 as well. And then just at the invitation of James, um, it was a chance to drop by in LA um, in August last year. And, and, uh, and then it was, um, it's when we, we, I met Danny and, and Sarah edwards Rona, who was the other young lady that came across and, and has trialled with a number of clubs over here. Um, you know, I met both the girls at, at that time, but I've actually seen a fair bit of um, the development of the USAFL and I'm in constant touch with my friend James and, and he keeps me abreast of, of, of developments over there. And I just read it with interest actually um, this week. I saw it on Facebook a couple of days ago that for the first time the Denver Bulldogs fielded two men's teams and two women's teams. So, it's fabulous to see the, the game sort of developing over there. Um, the league, obviously, it's a lot of people putting um, a lot of time and effort in on an honorary basis. Um, uh, but they're very passionate about it. And, and the people you speak to over there, they all tune into, um, you know, they've all got their AFL footy apps or AFL live apps, and, or they're all, um, you know, uh, finding, finding ways and means of tuning into AFL footy. And it's exciting to see them. They're very passionate about it. So, um, it's it's great to have that presence um, um, in the US. Yes, the uh, Denver Bulldogs on the women's side is the third team to uh, send two sides to a tournament following uh, Minnesota, who did the Nationals a number of years ago, as well as uh, San Francisco. So you're there in Los Angeles, you're watching this game of football. Besides Danny herself, which we'll focus on in a moment's time, what did you actually think of the standard of women's football there in the United States? Oh, the standards are fair, a fairly basic level because obviously, and a lot of the teams it depends on one how many Australians you've got in the team and the quality um, of those Australian players, and obviously the level of knowledge that they can bring to the US-based players. People are training maybe once a week, um, maybe once a fortnight, depending on how how um, how much distance. There's a lot of players over there that travel. All of the distant states in the US are very big in area wise and where they're recruiting the people from. You know, there can be cases where people are traveling an hour or two hours just to get to training. So obviously it's limited what, what they can do. Um, but they're passionate about it and they're, they're, they're thrilled to learn. And it's, it's, it's great to watch people who are just 
and it's a way of people connecting through the community as well um, in a different sport. And yeah, it's, it, I wouldn't say the standards very high, but they're passionate and they want to learn, and 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 it'll get better as as time goes on. Um, obviously, um, and if there's any expat Australians who are going over to the United States for work or for an extended time period, you know, I'd highly encourage them to to source out these. Um, these clubs, if, you, if you're keen on footy and you're interested in footy, it's a great way of connecting with people in the US and some expats and, and locals who are obviously already uh, you know, involved in their local communities. So you're looking at Danny Marshall, 5'10", athletic, as we'd later find out, college sports background, NCAA Division Two at the Colorado School of Mines, uh, where she played soccer. Uh, what were some of the attributes through the game that you picked up on watching her for the first time where you thought, right, she's got that skill down, Pat, or that's very good and that can be easily improved upon? Yeah, it was, it was speed, um, athleticism, and she could mark. She could catch the ball, and uh, and was, you just saw there was just this natural judgment, um, an athletic judgment, and she was kind of the best player on the field. And then, uh, as I said, my, my friend James was was um, asking whether Sarah Edwards or Una um, had the capability to make the game, and I'd, I'd met Sarah a few years before, and she played some rugby at a high level. She was clearly very, very talented. There was no problem, but I said to James. At the time, I remember making the comment, if we're going to get serious about this, let's find out who the tall gazelle is over there, the tall young lady, I should say gazelle now, and just say the tall young lady over there and find out. And when we went and had a chat to her, and she said she'd only been playing for three months, I thought, this is extraordinary. What I, what I was seeing from someone, it looked like someone had played the game for five or six years. And I thought, hold on, there's a serious talent here. And then when I was actually got to meet, Danny realised what you know, outstanding character she had, outstanding background, and she had that sporting background. Um, you know, I, I thought there's something here, and I didn't really know at the time what the something was. It was just one of those situations. And I spoke to her on the phone with her and her husband when I returned to Australia. And Sarah made it clear that she wanted to come across and and have some trials. And I, I spoke to Danny and her husband Ryan on Facebook. Um, on FaceTime and, and just said, look, guys, if you want to take a punt, and that's, this is all it is, you're going to have to pay your own way, take a punt, and come across. I'll try and open up some opportunities for you. I was very, very fortunate with the Aberfeldy Football Club and the, the club president, Alison Crabb, who also, Alison's a phenomenal lady, a phenomenal female. She, um, in business and, and what have you, uh, she opened up um, an opportunity at Aberfeldy so that, that Danny and Sarah had a base to play it, so they were guaranteed a game of footy every weekend, and then it just sort of grew from there. Um, uh, yeah, once you got that, the felty, you literally got off uh, the plane. Peter stepped off the plane uh, and travelled around the world on a Wednesday uh, mid-morning. She was straight to Aberfeldy training. She was pinging them left and right, um, foot training, um, drop punts, no problem. And then literally played two games the following weekend. It was almost best on the ground in both the games. And people were gobsmacked what they were seeing. Um, it was it's extraordinary. It, it really is extraordinary. 
Did it, I guess, boost the excitement in between that period of seeing her in LA and coming to Australia that about three months later in October, in her debut year, won the Women's Division 2 uh, Best and Fairest for the Nationals Tournament in uh, Racing Wisconsin for the USAFL? Yeah, what, what, I, what I realised is I've got to know, uh, and, and the great athletes, they're, they're self-motivated and they're self-driven and, and, and they can self-teach themselves and that's common in every sport of the great athletes. And, you know, I said to Danny and, and her husband, right, when I first met her, there's obviously a lot of work to be done from what I first saw. Then that person who then, as you say, three months later into the tournament wins the best player of the Division Two tournament and then gets to Australia in May of her own accord, you know, 50% fitter than what she was when I met her, you know, the ability to kick left and right foot, self-taught. From, from, and what I actually did was I actually sent her a, a link on YouTube to a Nathan Buckley kicking video, which, which Buck started. He would have done it many, many years ago. It's a very basic, simple coaching drill. And I, I said, well, if you want to learn how to drop, kick a drop punt, there's no better exponent of that than Nathan Buckley learned this. And she did off YouTube. She self-taught herself. And it was almost like when you're on a journey, when you're on an adventure, I was I was very fortunate in 1992, 93, it's one of the greatest sporting stories that's ever really been told, um, as, as well as it should have been the Melbourne Monarchs in 92, 93. Uh, we put a team of, of people together. And in the first year of operation, we won the national championships in Perth because we didn't know any better. And, and Danny's very, very similar to that story because... She doesn't know any better. She just does. So there's no, there's nothing inhibiting her to what she can do. And and and, I, and I'll put this out there now. And I'll, you know, just to, just to let people know, this young lady is going to make a serious impact on the AFLW. Um, she'll be a serious player, you know, in year one because she a fast track of development. And there's no ceiling. She doesn't put the ceiling on herself. What she can accomplish. So, you know, you expect to see, you know, one of the serious players in the competition, um, you know, when, when, it, when it unfolds in, in January of this year. It's going to be exciting because, um, you know, what, what people are going to see is going to show young people what you can achieve if you put your mind to it and just sort of free your mind up and, and just let yourself be. And, and that's what she does playing footy. So, you know, it's, it's really exciting, really exciting. You talked about her watching that Nathan Buckley video. Um, from what time frame com- compared to when you met her in July and to when she finally came uh, in May to uh, Melbourne, Australia, did uh, A, with you, along with her husband, um, uh, commit to coming to Australia? And and in that time frame itself, besides the Nathan Buckley video, how much feedback was there going back and forth between you and Danny to try and create some type of program around A, getting her fitness up, but B, also working on uh, the basic skills. So when she came across to Australia, she was ready from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, pro- probably weekly, to be honest. Uh, probably one chat weekly um, between Danny, um, Sarah, and myself, um, just, to, um, just to see how she was tracking um, just to make sure that she was back in the gym, she was running. I obviously got some experience through um, my involvement in, in cricket with some of the, the professional programs that the athletes have. So, you know, I've got obviously got a very, very basic understanding of, of what's required. Did a bit of homework, did a bit of research. So we, we sort of we pulled a bit together, made sure 
she did plenty of interval running. And one of the things I said to both the girls um, when we decided to do this, and it was pretty much instantaneous from one side of the left. LA in August, I spent another 10 or, 10 or so days, two weeks trekking around the US, doing my own thing. And then um, speaking to the girls as soon as I got home, they made the decision to come. And I said to them, both the girls at the time, okay, if we're going to come, we're going to be ready to go when we get here. This is not a, a, not a junket. This is a, is a serious exercise. And because the girls was, were both spending their own money to do it, they committed to it. So they both did their training. You know, they were doing two or three gym sessions a week. They were doing two or three running sessions a week. And in addition to that, they were going out doing kicking um, sessions to improve their skills. Um, so they, they were self-motivated and doing there's, there's a great story, not, not so much on Danny, but on Sarah as well, when she was training in the Colorado snow. Um, you know, so it showed commitment and dedication from both of them. And they were doing it without any promises, without any... Yeah, you know, it was just it was just oh, coming to Australia, taking a punt. It's probably the best thing I can, the best way I can explain it. Um, there were no guarantees. The only guarantee they had was they get a game of footy at Aberfeldy, um, you know, every week, and that they had a that that training to um, you know two nights a week to, to help them improve. And when they got here, when they both got here, you know, they made significant improvement. Um, you know, from when I even saw them in, in, in August. So, you know, it was a long period of time. It's, it's August to May. You, you probably were in a, you know, six or seven month period. Um, and through the depths of the American winter, that can be, that can be quite challenging. And they, they just stuck at it and just showed that commitment. So, um, you, 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 we knew we had something, something serious on our hands when, when they got here and they were able to display the, the, the skills that they did when they got here. What was the attitude like after they've arrived in uh, Melbourne of the interest of the AFLW clubs in Danny and, of course, in Sarah? Because when I chatted to um, AFLW clubs, including some head coaches in 2017 and 2018, they all got very excited about the Irish after the successful Cora Staunton experiment. But as soon as you mentioned the word North Americans, they went, uh, they ummed and ahed. What was your experience like trying to get the foot in the door to get a go for both Danny and Sarah? Oh, it was it was pretty positive. The Bulldogs are really good. He, uh, through Ellison Crabs connection at the Bulldogs, and Ellison runs a leadership program for the AFLW team. So she was able to open some doors um, with Deb Lee and Chris Grant and Mick Sandry, their recruiting manager. Um, but obviously, there were no guarantees at all for for the girls. And we when we sat down with the Bulldogs uh, when they both got here. And they outlined the Bulldogs said, okay, we'll give you an opportunity um, to train, um, see how you go. I think once they saw both the girls train, they realised that they had talent on their hands. And, and specifically in Danny's case, being a little bit taller, um, you know, having skills on, on both sides of her body and then her marking ability, they realised fairly quickly that they had something, something on their hands. Um, both girls asked for honesty, um, in a meeting with the Bulldogs at the time, and they and they said, "Look, we're only here for four or five weeks, so you know we, we'd like the opportunity to trial at as many clubs as possible." So there was there was and, and uh, Sarah also trained at Collingwood and, and had a run at St Kilda. So the clubs were accommodating, I think, out of respect to the girls that you know they had paid their own way and they hadn't asked for anything from any of the clubs. So it was quite a unique way of doing something. And 
I found the clubs really, really professional to deal with um, and to talk to. Um, and there may have been a little bit of um, you know, scepticism in the background, but at the end of the day, the girls were able to prove that they were up to the up to the standard, and, and you know they they could mix it. Um, and, and obviously, in Danny's case, at VFL level, once she entered, um, uh, you know the team, and you know clearly showed that you know she was more than up to the standard. Um, you know, I think that you know that, that obviously sparked more interest um, from the Bulldogs' point of view. And I think it was clear, um, you know, after a first VFL game, that they realised they got a talent on their hand on their hands, and um, yeah, we're able to obviously um, you know fulfil a dream for her that. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's going to unfold over the next 12 months. I had the privilege of calling two out of three of Danny's VFLW games, including the first one I recall at Down Oval in Williamstown, a Saturday night game. And to me personally, two things stood out, particularly when people sometimes have criticism of Americans playing the game. And to be, and it's a fair criticism because the Americans don't often get to play on an oversized field. They normally have to play on a, a soccer or a rugby ground and are reduced to, say, nine aside rather than the traditional 18 aside. The things that stood out for me were that, A, her ability to keep in the structure. Some Americans get lost and don't know where to go to in that 18-a-side format. She kept the structure very well. And the other thing that really stood out to me was for about half a quarter or so when they actually played her in the ruck as an undersized ruck, her tap work, the variety that she had, which, uh, in my humble opinion, stood out better than some of the Australian girls that I see coming through whose ruck work is, to be honest, fairly ordinary. She showed excellent variety. What was the feedback that you were getting from the Bulldogs coaching staff off the back of that first game? Yeah, it's 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 instinct, and I, I think they were surprised at what she could do. So, great athletes have natural instincts, and, and they always have. You, you don't a lot of stuff you don't teach them; they just know it and they just do it. And Danny has natural instincts, and she says. It comes from her ultimate frisbee background. It comes from a soccer background. It comes from a bit of basketball. She's played in the US. I think we need to understand that you know, whether we, we like it or not, we're all very parochial to our own. There'll be no more prouder Australian than, than me. And this is not a not a, um, a US v Australia situation or anything like that. It should never be seen as that. This, there's an opportunity here for the AFLW and the AFL, and we've seen it with Mason Cox. The United States are some of the best athletes in the world. Now, in the, absolutely in the world, if you're a great athlete with natural instinct, you can turn your hand to most games, most sporting games. And we see that here in Australia. There's documented examples of you know many, many famous um uh, footballers who were, could have been great cricketers. We see with you know, a guy called, you know, we see with Alex Keith, he's played state cricket and now he's fullback for the Adelaide Crows doing an outstanding job. You know, we've seen it with, with former great cricketers over the years that could have been great footballers. Um, you know, guys like Ricky Ponting who are scratch golfers, um, or better than scratch golfers and unbelievable cricketers. They're multi-talented and multi-faceted. And that's just, well, they're lucky that they're born with this sort of talent. So no one's ever taught Danny Ruck work. She just does it. So the, the upside to a player like that was if she was able to spend some time with a Ruck coach um, for three or four months, how good would she be then when you couple professional coaching with natural instinct? And that's what I saw when I saw her play in the United States. I thought, 
This girl's never been coached properly at all. But she's just got these natural instincts for the game. I watched it in that first game and watched her leading patterns. And she said those leading patterns are the same as what you do in Ultimate Frisbee, where you lead to create space and someone follows in behind you. Um, so it's, it's a transition of a lot of sporting experiences that she's had that just come naturally to her. So when we couple those natural instincts and, you know, the Bulldogs coaching staff, the VFL staff um, have been outstanding with her and obviously that will then will be another uh, step up once she gets to um, obviously, you know, uh, full-time in the AFLW training environment. Her natural instincts um, will come to the fore and if we add that, we add the finishing touches to those and, and the constant development, it could, it could be frightening what we're about what we're about to unleash in, in a great way. And I don't say it's a bad way. In an absolute great way, we could see one of the greatest uh, sporting stories ever unfold before our eyes. And hopefully, you know, the fans out there will really appreciate that and um, and just you know follow the journey, um, watch it with you know some excitement, and hopefully it inspires some other young young female athletes to, you know, play footy or play cricket or follow their dream and and, and realise you can do it. You know, if you if you got um if you got any level of ability and you've got an attitude to match, you know, chase your dreams. There's no better time for a young female to be around sport at the moment because the opportunities in whatever path that they want to take uh, are obviously going to be there for them over the next you know, the next decade or two decades and beyond, and it's just going to grow, which is which is fantastic. Her first stint in Australia ended in the best possible way after her final game with the Western Bulldogs at the start of the season. Uh, she ended up being named in the VFLW Team of the Week. After that, she packed up, went back home. When did the contract offer finally come, and what did it mean to not only Danny herself, but for you as a person who took the gamble, who first saw her and said, hey, we should work on this from July, to finally see 12 months later, here it is in black and white, a contract signed by an American to play in the AFLW? Oh, the, con- the contract offer actually came at halftime of the last um, uh, VFL game when, when Mick Sandry and, and Deb Lee um, grabbed a hold of me at I was sitting obviously in the crowd watching the game and, and Mick said I wouldn't mind having a chat to you at half time. So we actually did it um, um, at the half time break, if you could believe that. Um, and then Danny came off the ground and she had a big smile obviously because she was wrapped because the team won and and, uh, and and everyone was was obviously happy. I think they played Geelong that day and um, she played um, behind the ball just so they, the dogs could have a look at her behind the ball and she said, out I go. I said, oh, yeah, she went pretty well. I said, that's a pretty good news for you. And she said, what? I said, well, if you want to, um, do the contract downstairs for you to sign. And she, she, she couldn't believe it. She was, it was phenomenal. And for, for, for me, it was just, yeah, it was a little bit of internal satisfaction. I've been a Bulldogs fan all my life and, um, and obviously still support the club and love the club and all of those sort of things. But yeah, from, um, just for Danny herself, just very rare. I've actually said this to a few people, a few close friends of mine, associates. It's very rare that you start out on a project and it goes according to plan. Um, you know, there can be a lot of hiccups in the road. This one today has gone according to plan, which it's very rare that you have these fortunate experiences at various intervals in your life that you, 
you go through. I'm just, I'm just very, very, um, you know, proud of her. Uh, uh, she's done all the work. It's a very, very minor uh, bit part um, role that I've played in this. Um, you know, she's the one that does all the work. She's the one who's committed to it, who's dedicated to it, who funded it um, in her own right um, in the first instance. And now her and the husband are going to pack up and relocate here to Australia for a period of time. So they're about to have a life experience that they both never thought they could have. So it's one of those things that, you know, when I'm an old guy, um, you know, sitting in a, in a rocking chair, probably, you know, um, thinking about how life went for myself, you know, you look back and go, yeah, I was really proud of that one. And um, yeah, just very, very fortunate to have, as I said, play you know, a, a supporting role, um, um, you know, with Danny. And, and I'll continue to do that. And, and as, I've, as I've, you know, her and I have chatted extensively about it, you know, in our view, the journey's only just starting. And, you know, I, th- I, I think we can, you know, I think she can create one of the greatest stories um, you know, ever. I really do that. I really do believe that. Um, and there's been a little bit of coverage in the US in the last few days out of it. I, I, I seriously think it's one of the great stories in sport that's about to unfold before our eyes. And uh, mail is that she's about to land any moment now in Melbourne, Australia, and will be uh, heading out to Sandringham this Sunday to play in the VFLW with the Western Bulldogs and the remaining VFLW games for 2019 to prepare for 2020. So off the back of that, and we've all got fingers crossed that she's going to have a very successful AFLW career. Does it give you, Cameron, pause for thought to think, okay, maybe I need to invest a little more time again in the United States and look for quote unquote the next Danny Marshall. Uh, it's it's probably yeah it does it it, it certainly does. Oh, I, I certainly wouldn't want to take my business down that direction. Um, yeah, that, that is food for thought. I I certainly believe the AFL um, and the clubs should certainly be should certainly be doing that. There's there's absolutely no question in my mind. You know. Danny's proved it's 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 possible. Mason Cox is is a, is a superstar now in the AFL competition, and and he's proving it actually is quite surprising. It hasn't been a greater investment. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a country that's the greatest athletes in the world. You know, they win more Olympic gold medals in every Olympic Games than anyone else. Um, you know, they're elite. Their their female soccer team just won the world championship. Now, there's so many examples in, in AFLW football of soccer players being making a very, very successful transition into, um, AFL, into AFLW. Now, if there's not another level of, of player, elite soccer player in the United States that didn't make the US national team, it would shock me. So, yeah, so whether it's my job to do that or my want to do that, I'd certainly be encouraging if if an, if one of the AFL clubs you know wanted to invest some money in in the United States, I could certainly hook them up with some contacts that are on the ground there, um, and and you will find um, you know two of my closest friends in life um, scout professional baseball, and there, there are so many good athletes in the US, um, and it, it'd be exciting. It's a, it's an opportunity for footy to. to Open itself up to the world, and and I think it'd be an opportunity for AFL football um, to open itself up to the United States and to some some US broadcasters. So, 
yeah, I'd, I'd be more than happy to sit down with the AFL and and, and, and have a chat to them, um, uh, have a chat to the Cole Livingston about these sort of things. Um, I think it's an exciting platform um, where we can bring you know some of the best, both male and female athletes in the world, into AFL football. That that to me would be just would be super exciting. Well, Cameron, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And congratulations again on bringing Danny Marshall to the AFLW. Thank you, Peter. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. We've got more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au. LeagueTees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. LeagueTees.com.au Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's great to have on the line the media manager of the United States Australian Football League, Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? G'day, Peter. How's it going? Great to have you back on the line after uh, a weekend away, I believe, in the uh, Rocky Mountains. Yeah, the Centennial State in uh, Denver, Colorado, more specifically just up the road in uh, in Westminster, up near the mountains for the Central Regional Championships. Now, before we talk about the Central Regional Championships, we need to talk about some breaking news. And when I say breaking news, it's been news for a week. It just happened to occur uh, between the moment we recorded and when this program went to air on Wednesday night. But very good news nonetheless. The first woman out of the United States Australian Football League to sign a contract with the AFL women's competition. And it wasn't a question of if, but when, and that question was answered. Uh, well, and who as well. And, and the answer to that question, of course, is one Danielle Marshall, originally from Colorado Springs, uh, played soccer at the Colorado School of Mines Division II program, was there on a scholarship. Uh, after years off of really top-level competitive sports, joining the Arizona Lady Hawks last season and going over and impressing with the Western Bulldogs and getting signed to an AFLW contract. Um, this is, I think, the best bit of news that uh, the U.S. AFL community has had in some time. Uh, I think irrespective of where it goes from here, uh, we've never had uh, – well, we've never had a woman do it. She's only the second U.S. AFL uh, product – a man or woman to sign with a club. Alex Riccio signed with uh, Carlton out of the New York Magpies a couple of years ago, but he didn't get any further than the VFL. So the fact that uh, Danny is not only signed, but she's been impressed so far in VFLW, she'll be back with the team this week, uh, kicking off their next game. And uh, for, the, for the rest of the season, getting ready for 2020, uh, there was a, a lot of chatter about her this weekend, a lot of chatter about her online, and uh, it, it's really exciting for American Aussie rules. 
Absolutely, because obviously we've seen through the Crosscoders program and a couple of Americans out of Seattle did uh, trial through that program. A lot of Irish women have essentially been pumping through the system and there was some worries that any international rookies in AFLW were going to be Irish only. But uh, it's finally good to see that the first woman out of the USAFL has been signed. Now, we say technically the second North American when we count Kendra Heil, who of course uh, was recruited out of the Eastern Devils. She's originally a Canadian. Uh, She didn't get to play in the AFLW due to an ACL injury. She hopes to return. She's playing at Essendon VFLW alongside uh, American uh, April Lewis. But as you said, uh, for the USAFL, this is the first one through the door. And if she does at least okay, it hopefully uh, creates invitations for others. Well, and there's a lot of women who are looking to this. And even before, of course, you know, Katie Klatt, uh, a couple of years ago, playing those uh, two and a half seasons with Melbourne uh, University. Jess Blecker, who's over there playing for Collingwood, who had a good game this week. Uh, April Lewis has come up and uh, is signed with Essendon. Uh, this was her first uh, appearance this past weekend in the game against GWS. Uh, so, it is possible to get over there, and if she makes it, I know there's more than a few women who are over here who are looking at the possibility of going over there and making that a path. So uh, if this works out, uh, this could really, as you said, open the door for Americans and possibly others, not only uh, you know, in Canada, but around the world, too. And is there a strong sense of irony as well as the announcement came essentially just a week after the 4th of July and the team that she's going to is wearing the red, white and blue? That's what we refer to as a dink, Peter, uh, <laughs> that all of that sort of came together. Uh, yeah, it's, you know what, though, it, again, it's really exciting for us. And uh, uh, one of the, you know, there's there's this, been this argument online, and I know you've seen it and I've seen it, that uh, because of how young the, the professional league is, that, you know, the Australian women who have been playing since they were young should get more priority in terms of some of these uh, you know, versus some of these uh, overseas women. But the way I feel about it is, you know, Mason Cox and, and all due respect to Mason, who has really made a career for himself. You know, it seems like he's going to stay in Australia and, and it's really changed his life. But Mason Cox was selected and had and went through a combine really with no experience, no knowledge of AFL before. This is somebody who has known about Aussie rules football. She spent a year in Arizona playing. Uh, she has an extensive uh, sporting background at an elite level. She's gone through the process of having to stay at that elite level year round. Uh, it's something that is very important, especially if you talk to somebody, another soccer player, Bree Davey, who uh, mentioned that having gone through the Australia national uh, soccer program that it gets you ready for. This is somebody who has truly earned her opportunity. And, and uh, like I said, it would be great if she's able to make it, then we can, they can look at the USAFL and say, you know what, there's some talent here and they're not that far behind the Australian women to where they can make an impact. And I can safely say, as a person who's broadcasted more than 200 games of senior women's football, I saw uh, two of the three games that Danielle played uh, in the VFLW back in May, and uh, she was clearly amongst some of the best players for the Bulldogs in those matches, so has well and truly earned her contract spot. Let's actually focus on the spot, uh, the, pardon me, the state that she went to university in, in Colorado, because that's where the Central Regional Tournament was held for this weekend. And when we last spoke, it was at three teams, but they ended up having... Four women's teams compete in the end. 
They did. In fact, they got 31 players that the Denver Bulldogs. And this is the first time in regional play, Peter, that we've seen this on the women's side where a team has had enough to where they've had to split up. We've seen it at the national level. Minnesota did that for a couple of years back in the middle of the decade. But the, uh, the Lady Bulldogs, as we said, what they decided to do was to take 18 players and place them on one team, which was known as the Denver Lady Bulldogs red side. And then they took about a dozen or so players and put them in blue uniforms or blue jumpers, and they paired them up with players from Des Moines, the North Star Blue Ox, and the Ohio Valley River Rats as well. The other two teams was a a Northern All-Stars, or so we called them, was the Minnesota Freeze, as well as four players from the Chicago Swans, or five players from the Chicago Swans and one from the Wisconsin Wombats, Caitlin O'Malley, making her debut. And then the other team we called the Southern All Stars was uh, anchored by the Texas Heat uh, with uh, about 10 or so players, including the first two players from Austin, one of whom was Heather Serpico, which we talked about before. One from Dallas, Laura McAuliffe, uh, Deanna Velasquez was the other Austin player. And then five players from the Nashville Kangaroos, including uh, Alexa Roncancio and Natalie Smith, who both are heading to the Freedom Camp in in uh, August in Racine. So this ended up being a four-team round-robin tournament. The team with the best record was crowned champions. And then if there was a tie, it came down to percentage. So let's talk about it. Um, as we said, the uh, red team, which was the uh, Denver uh, first, you could call that, were clearly favourites going into the tournament, being the uh, reigning central regional champions. Uh, the Minnesota Freeze, who did not participate in the tournament last year, participated this year and continued on their form from uh, last year's nationals when they almost snuck into the grand final. Yes, they did, Peter. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of what ifs. I think we mentioned this last time uh, that, you know, you can't really look at what ifs, but think of what would have happened if they would have gotten up over San Francisco. They, they would have been favored to beat Seattle in that grand final. But they brought the players that they brought, Catherine Georgiatis, who uh, by far one of the best midfielders in the country, Kathy Oha, who's a, a formidable forward, Lizzie Even, who could play in the rock and play defensively as well, uh, Paige Kicker, who's an all-star defenseman, a defensive player, the uh, Brianna Ostoff, Catherine Mullen, who both played at the Liberty level, Caitlin Peterson as well, and then a num- uh, some younger talent, Pia Richardson, who is a tall player who platooned up in the forward line, Lindsey Stan as well, who is pretty quick. Uh, the fact that they had the players that they had from uh, Chicago, including New South Welsh woman Rebecca Quinn and uh, Aislinn Grigg, who is currently playing for the New York Magpie. She moved to Chicago. She'll be playing with the Swans next season. Now, just uh, before we go on, a quick word about how the Bulldogs split up. Um, they didn't go into a, a true A and B side. Uh, they actually uh, split it up just about evenly, uh, playing on the team uh, the blue team that played with all those other uh, teams uh, that I had mentioned. Uh, Sarah Rohner, of course, who had just come back from Australia, as well as Anna Thexton, two uh, rookies and the captain and co-captain of this side. The red team did have some uh, uh, veterans as well, uh, including uh, Australian Tess Maisie, uh, Georgina Young, who used to play at Morpherville Park in South Australia, uh, Rebecca Piasetsky, uh, Carly Austin, as well as Jessica Gray. So the teams were pretty well split up, but still formidable sides, both of them. 
Including an even spread of uh, victories across the day, uh, particularly those for the Texas Heat managing to rack up a victory. A, a couple of wins, I believe, for, for the Denver uh, uh, Lady Bulldogs wearing the red jumpers. But it was the Minnesota Freeze that would end up taking out the tournament. Yeah, they went 3-0, and and they had a, a pretty straightforward day. Uh, they were challenged, I think, in all three games. But if you look at the score at the scorecards, uh, it doesn't really tell the whole story of the teams that they played against. They began the morning session against that Denver Lady Bulldogs blue side, winning by 52 points. This was one of the games I broadcast. And it was all Catherine Georgiatis. Whenever she got the ball in the middle of the field, she was creating chances. She had kicked a couple of goals early in the game that really kind of set them apart. Uh, Kathy Oha as well, she had a couple of first-half goals uh, to really put the other team away to push the, the Bulldogs blue side away. Lindsay even Lindsay even did a really good job in the back line. Uh, Lindsay Stend was running all over the place. She created a couple of chances. Uh, Kelsey Lawson one of the Chicago players and an American made her debut by kicking a goal. It was a great moment for her. As we mentioned, Caitlin O'Malley the, the uh a player from Wisconsin also doing the dirty work. The the Bulldogs blue side, as we mentioned, they had Sexton and they had Rohner and they were creating some chances. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough for a 52-point win in the first game. In the second game, uh, they took on the Texas team, uh, again, with players from Austin, Dallas, and they had Melissa Wilhelm from the Arizona Hawks, who was up uh, visiting as a free agent. And this game had a lot of passion, and it's been a while since I've seen not only a game with this much flow, but there was a lot of hard hits, there was some pushing and shoving, there was a lot of uh, enterprise in this game. And uh, it, it was back and forth for most of the game. In fact, the, the Heat trailed uh, by... Uh, the Heat actually trailed by a goal at one point. They led at halftime. They led by uh, a goal at three-quarter time. They go on to win by three points uh, as well. And then Minnesota playing the Bulldogs red in their second game. Uh, again, this was all uh, Georgiatis and Oha really keeping this uh, veteran Bulldog side at task. Uh, Curly Austin, it must be mentioned, in her first game coming back, she uh, just had a, a, a son three uh, three months ago, she came back. She played really well in her first game back. She was up on the forward line as an option. Uh, Jennifer Elliott, who just started playing last year as well. Uh, and one player who played well during the course of the game was Spanish-born midfielder uh, Andrea D'Alfonso Ortega, who uh, got some best and fairest votes as well. But it was all Minnesota in this game, 6-4-40 to the Bulldogs, 2-1-13. And then what ended up happening was is that that final game, Minnesota was 2-0 and against Texas, who were 1-1. Uh, they defeated uh, – the Texas had defeated the Bulldogs' blue side in a very physical game by three points, 25-22. to uh, And Texas looked really, really good. Haley Rebar, who made her debut last year uh, and the, at the Ruck, she was allowed to kind of play all over the place a little bit. Uh, Heather Serpico was stepping up, taking a couple of the rucks as well, as was uh, Brooke Elias as well, one of the Nashville players. Natalie Smith ran all over the place. So they came in needing to win, but also needing to win by a lot to make up the uh, percentage margin over Minnesota. And in that final game, again, the freeze jumped out to an early lead and held on to win by 30 points. The final score in that game, Minnesota 5-7-37 to Houston 
1-1-7. But it must be said that Houston probably played, Texas probably played the best out of all of the other teams, as well as those Bulldogs' sides looked. Alexa Ballinger, whose sister Taylor uh, had been playing for the Heat, she's out with an ACL injury. She's expected to be back at by Nationals. Uh, Melinda Luivano, who is a newer player. Uh, Emma Patmore kicked a, a, a couple of really good kicks, really good probing kicks, took some good marks in the forward line. Uh, Deanna Velasquez, as we mentioned, the former player from the uh, or former current roller derby player, uh, played really well as well. So uh, Minnesota just too strong, but very competitive. So the final table looked like this: uh, the Minnesota Freeze at three and zero, winning, and then we had a three-way tie where the two Bulldogs teams and Texas uh, finished with a record of one and two. So it came down to percentage. The Bulldogs red uh, with sixty-eight percent, and then the Bulldogs blue just falling behind the Texas team by two tenths of a percentage point as Texas. 53.95 and the Bulldogs blew 53.70. That first blowout uh, kind of hindering them and putting them in last place. But all in all, I think even though that a team, that one team finished at 3 and 0, it was still a really competitive weekend. I guess some lessons to take out of that Central Regional Tournament is Minnesota Freeze. They look like to be the uh, threat to San Francisco Iron Maidens uh, winning four titles in a row. For the Denver Lady Bulldogs, they cannot be written off. They now have depth, which is going to add some some serious heat to them coming into the national tournament because obviously injuries do happen during the national tournament and they'll be able to cover more troops. Uh, But also, if we look at the Texas Heat, that could possibly uh, start to put them as perhaps favourites to take out the Division 2 title this year. But also, it seems like the Chicago Swans are a very valuable commodity. Those five players, depending on who they team up with, come uh, the Nationals in October in Sarasota. Yeah, and and we'll, you know, starting with the freeze, I think they're the second best team in the country right now, Peter. Uh, Denver has the depth. They don't have the experience, and that's going to come with time. Um, I know in talking to their new head coach, Colleen McNabb, uh, she said that uh, she's very excited about these young players. They're they're enthusiastic. They've bought all in on the on the culture there in Denver, and about the fact that they have a chance to start really from scratch and he- and head back to where they were at the beginning of the decade. But Minnesota, I think, as you said, yeah, if they're on and if they're healthy, uh, I think they're the biggest threat, as you said, to San Francisco. As for Denver, it might be a year or two before I think they're back in the mix, but you never know. It depends on who comes down to Florida with them. Um, It depends on how healthy they are. And then uh, talking about the Texas Heat, you know, Heather Serpico going to Austin is probably the best thing that could happen for that program. She's already recruited somebody, as we mentioned, in Diana Velasquez, and they're already talking about, uh, you know, bringing maybe about another five or six players. That's their goal to nationals and contributing with the Texas Heat. Um, Chicago, yeah, uh, especially the way that some of their new players played. As we mentioned, uh, Ashlyn Grigg will be joining them next year, but I uh, was really impressed with Kelly, Kelsey Lawson, who uh, was a good, tall target up forward. And you know what? You also can't count out the Nashville Kangaroos. Uh, again, Ron Concio and Smith, we might see them wearing red, white, and blue of the national variety uh, by next year. And uh, who knows? And and uh, just looking at Des Moines as well, we have to mention them uh, with Emily Rice playing really well defensively for that Bulldogs blue side and Hannah Bailey, who was really involved in the contest as well. 
So uh, there's a lot of contributions at both levels here that we saw this weekend. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of months and uh, some of these teams are going to be playing more games as we get down the stretch and we head towards Sarasota. Well, Brian, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your company next week when we look ahead to July 27 and the Western Regional Tournament in Salem, Oregon. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Remember, uh, you can catch some of the women's games on our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash USAFL1997. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival with the latest from the AFL London Women's League. It's great to have on the line Mariana Graham. Maz, how are you? Good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. The final round is done and dusted. It is done and dusted, and I think we've had some exciting results come through. Let's take a look at what happened in the Women's Premiership, first of all, over the weekend. And the Wandsworth Demons were given a run for their money, uh, defeating the West London Wildcats by just nine points, 31-22. to 22. Yeah, so this was quite surprising, because I think throughout the whole season, the Demons have pretty much dominated, and I think it's quite rare to get a team that scored a few goals on them. So this was quite a close tussle, and... Uh, it almost sounds like the the Wildcats were, were close to keeping them at the post, but uh, they've held on to their undefeated uh, run for the year. And in the other game, in the Women's Premiership Division, your South East London Giants racked up the percentage points, uh, defeating Wimbledon Hawks 45-1. to Yeah, so this this was also a little bit surprising because we, um, we thought this would be quite close. I think when we played earlier on in the season, we uh, lost to the Hawks by three points. So we're sort of expecting quite a close game. Um, but the girls came out and uh, did really well, really. So um, Alex Umbers, I think, did really well again for us. So she's sort of been prominent there for the whole season. So, yeah, looking forward to finals. Let's look ahead to the Women's Conference Division uh, for their games over the weekend. The London Swans, who were featured last week on the Outer Sanctum uh, podcast, uh, they defeated the Putney Magpies 42-2. to They did, and no surprise there, really. They've just continued their good run. And um, I'm pretty... They're, Probably won't. I don't think anyone will come close to beating them this year. And in the match between the West London Wildcats and the Clapham Demons, the Wandsworth Reserves, it was the Wildcats that took the chocolate 16 to 12. Yeah, so the Wildcats waited till their final game to, to get a, um, a win on the board. Um, unfortunately for them, though, I don't think it was quite enough. So I think they've just missed out on finals this year. And talking about finals, uh, it all kicks off this weekend. It does. So the finals is uh, Saturday and Sunday this weekend. So both men's and women's playing on the same day. Uh, on Saturday, we have uh, all the games down at Peckham Rye. And we've got the women's premiership at uh, 2 p.m. Uh, Wandsworth Demons and the North London Lions. Uh, and on the Sunday, so that's the one, uh, that's one and two. And on the Sunday, we're playing out at Bounds Green, and that will be at 2 p.m. again, the West London Wildcats and the South London Giants. So I think both games should be should be quite quite good. I dare say the Demons and the Lions will be quite a close... Actually, probably both games should be quite a close, quite a close game. Um, the Women's Conference is also playing at 11 o'clock on Sunday, so that will be Putney and Wandsworth. Um, the London Swans finish top, so they automatically go through onto the to the prelim final for next week. And with the London Swans uh, actually racking up a percentage of over 1,000 uh, undefeated at the top of the table, yeah. uh, if they go on to win the Premiership by a hefty margin, it might argue the case for their promotion to the Premiership division next year. 
Yeah, that's right. I think they've had such a good season. So I think once the season's done and dusted, we'll have a chat and see uh, if they're willing to join the other teams in the Premiership this year. But there's no reason why they shouldn't. Well, Maz, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to your company next week when we take a look back at week one of the AFL London Women's Finals. No worries. Thanks, Peter. Stick around. We've got more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. Joining us on the line now here at RSN Carnival to take a look back at the final game of the Queensland Women's Winter Series between the Brisbane Lions and the Gold Coast Suns from AFL Queensland, it's Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Peter? Not too bad at all. Beautiful warm weather as always up in Queensland. And uh, the footy was red hot at the Gabba between the Lions and the Suns. And the Suns in the final game of the Winter Series took it up to the Lions. Yeah, they, they really did. And I think both teams really saved their best performance for the last game of the Winter Series. I think that was especially true for the Suns. I think, you know, the school lines probably their most, like, they're almost the most irrelevant thing for them. They're trying to build a list and get, um, you know, their assessment of some plays and, you know, get ready for next year um, entering AFLW. And the Winter Series, I think, really did that just really well. And the Suns at the Gabba, first of all, the Gabba for women's footy, it was the best day to go and watch footy. So much fun. Both teams are right in the contest, some great goals. Three goals from Bree McFarlane for Brisbane. And then uh, the likes of uh, Jade Pagelli for Gold Coast, she was really good. Uh, Kate Sermon in the midfield, she was really good. Mutual girl. Um, I think she's been tossed around a bit all over the field throughout the winter series. Finally gets a crack at a full-time midfield spot and she performed really well. So, uh, you know, a lot of positives to come out of both sides as we continue to build for next year. Like you mentioned, uh, a lot of experiment going on with the lineup. I believe even Tiana Ernst was played up forward for the Suns. Yeah, she was. And that was probably the matchup of the day, I think. She's played a little bit of kind of hit up forward for Bond in, uh, back in the QAFLW. But she did the same um, on the weekend and she lined up um, against Selena Priest and that matchup between the two was really, really good. I think Priest probably won out overall would give her the chocolates, but I think that has something to do with the delivery that Ernst get, got um, from kind of the midfielders and defenders running sure I think a lot of the time it, the ball was coming in maybe a foot over her head or it hit the deck uh, two, two metres before her, so she really had to struggle to get her possessions but I think the way that she presented up in the game was a definite positive and I think the Suns might like her there, she's playing there in bond, so I don't know if that's a message down from the Suns to um, back to the State League. So it's definitely a move we could see moving forward and into next next season. Again, final scores there. The Lions 7-8-50, defeating the Gold Coast Suns 5-3-33. Um, now, essentially the sides combined, that is, I, I guess, bar the AFLW players, those that are looking for a, a spot on the Lions or Suns list, come together as Queensland to take on WA. Yeah, that's right, and... 
I think it'll be an exciting game. No one really knows what to expect, but the lineup that um, kind of Lakey and Stars and AFL Queensland have come up with is it's a really good squad. And there is a little bit of um, AFLW influence, like of Lauren Bella, Jackie Yorston, uh, Molly Ritson, who's obviously already signed. They're all in the team and they'll go over and play. I think that's, you know, they had to play less than five games um, of AFLW football which they already have, and they want to get some you know, more games into them to build that cohesion. And the team, it really is strong. And like you said, it's to, they've kind of identified uh, you know 12 or so girls from each team that they're really excited to look at and want to give that opportunity to kind of earn a contract. And there's a few girls that I'm really excited for. I already mentioned uh, Jade Pagelli, who I thought was probably the Suns' best player um, at the Gabber on Sunday. Uh, Kathy Zvark from Wilson Grange, I think the Lions are pretty excited about her. She played for the Lions throughout the winter series. Um, she can play in the midfield, run off halfback, good user of the ball. She's really good. Um, and then Kate Sermon as well. And I already mentioned her as well, but I, I liked what she's done kind of in her 18 months playing footy from Ridgeshaw and then in the Sun system this year. I think she's performed really well. And they might try and test her versatility a little bit this weekend over in Perth, just like they've done throughout the winter series. And I think if she ticks all those boxes, you know, she could be on her way to earning a, a gig on the Suns list. Also on at the same time as that uh, game between Queensland and WA uh, this weekend at Optus Stadium is round 12 of the QAFLW competition. So let's take a look at that since it restarts uh, all games on Saturday. Uh, we kick off at 2pm at UQ at Oval number 2. The Red Lions are playing host to Gatta Tweed. Yeah, now... Uh... I think this contest, the writing's a bit on the wall for UQ. They've had some massive wins this year, but they still find themselves just behind the pack. And I think looking back a few weeks, that loss to Cooperu really set them behind the eight ball a bit. You know, five wins, six losses, playing good footy, and their percentages up there are definitely better than Cooperu and Maruchador, who are also kind of vying for that last spot in the finals bracket. But if they can't get a win here, it probably spells the end. Um, of their 2019 campaign. And I think the same, you know, the, the games of a pretty high importance for Cool and Gatta Tweed as well, because, you know, they're at six and five, only one, they're in third and they've got a pretty healthy percentage, but they're still in that log jam from third to six um, with those teams I mentioned earlier, really vying for a spot. And Cool and Gatta Tweed, a bit like UQ, they've been playing some really good footy, but that good footy has been patchy. So if they can't bring against UQ, um, then who knows what will happen. And obviously, Coolangatta Tweed will probably be without a few of their um, more experienced players over in Perth, like of Alex Hamlin, uh, Selena Priest will go over. So they're missing a few. I think UQ will lose Megan Hunt and Dakota Davidson, who's probably been their two best forwards for the year. Obviously, Hunt's leading the league goal kicking. So you know, a bit to work out for both teams, but a pretty tight contest, I think. 3.45pm at Leishon Park. It's second versus eighth. Yoronga South Brisbane playing host to the Apsley Hornets. Apsley's struggled a bit, but they, they continue improving. And, you know, two weeks ago they had a breakthrough win um, against Aspley And, um, you know, they, they did stick it to Bond um, in their most recent game. So, you know, they don't enter in the worst form. You'd probably expect Yoronga to... Um, get the win here and really mount a case for a serious finals tilt 
Um, Yoronga probably gets back a few state league players. Dee Heslop will come back and um, obviously the, the number of um, Lions players and their winter series players will come back into the fray. Um, you know, Emily Bates, Jesse Keefe, who we, we know the influence that they can have on games, but I'll probably expect Yoronga to, to come away with a pretty pretty comfortable win, which will probably put them two wins um, clear in second place ahead of third and that kind of jumble that we mentioned. So, you know, they're going on their way to, to earning a finals place. 4.45pm at Bond University. It's the league leaders versus the reigning premiers, Wilson Grange. Yeah, well, when you say say that, it kind of builds it as a, a pretty important contest. But uh, I think just given the form, Bond University are just incredible form. Um, they've got so many girls. Like I mentioned earlier, they'll, they'll lose those girls over in their emerging talent squad, um, which I think they have they have quite a few names in there. But the talent coming through, they'll likely get back all their um, under-18 state players, which uh, Bond have more than any other team in the competition, like for Charlotte Hammond, Katara Farah, Tiana Arwang, um, just some real class coming back into the side, and that should really hold them in good stead over Wilson Grange. They, a bit like Aspley, they've, you know, in the summer they kind of overhauled their whole culture, lost a lot of players, got in a few, um, but at large have kind of fallen behind the eight ball a little bit. Um, so Bond University should probably get a win here. And in the final game at 4.45pm at Giffen Park, a game with big implications on the makeup of the finals, Cooper Roo versus Maruchidor. Yeah, you're definitely right because both teams sit six wins, uh, five losses. Cooper is in fourth, Maruchidor's in fifth, and there's only about 1.5% um, between them on, on, the, um, on the ladder. And obviously, if... Cooley can get rid of UQ and deal with them, then that puts Cooley in good stead, puts them one, um, just kind of solidifies their final position. But the Cooper Marushal matchup will really dictate who holds, uh, fourth spot, not only at the end of this round, but it puts them in the, in the box seat for occupying that spot for the coming weeks. And uh, it's so hard to, to, to call and both teams will get back um, a number of players for the game. We've mentioned every game so far, but you know when you welcome back four, um, four or five state league girls into, uh, sorry, not state league, state representative girls into every team this weekend, it, it does have a bit of an impact. And uh, you look at Marucho, Lily Postlethwaite, the under eighteen captain, Bell Dawes, who is another one of our solid performers. They're coming back into the fray. Cooper Rue will get back. Uh, like of Tani White, Ellie Hanson, who won Queensland's MVP at the Under-18 Carnival, um, as well as Lily Tarlington, who will line up for Cooperoo this week. Um, I think she's getting kind of like a permit to play while she's down here um, from Mackay. So another interesting one for there, but massive, massive implications. But I think I think Cooperoo might just get there in the end. That's my tip. Well, Anne, thank you very much for joining us here at RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your company next week when we take a look back at Round 12, the QAFLW competition and the state game between Queensland and WA. Awesome. Thanks so much.
Looking back at the West Australian Football League Women's Competition, Round 10 played over the weekend, where Claremont 4-5-29 defeated East from in a close one, 4-3-27. On the Sunday, Pill Thunder, two straight 12, went down to Subiaco, 7-14-56, a bye this week in the WAFLW competition. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to take a look back at part of a round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. It's great to have on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. We only get to look back at one game this week in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, well, because um, this game was meant to be played a week ago but was washed out, so it's uh, been a a round that's ended up being spread out over two weekends, which uh, doesn't happen very often. And it was down to the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs and the Southern Power, and it was the power that came away with the victory. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, these two sides, I think there was only five points in it last time they've met. Um, so they've been sort of relatively close. They've had some good contests the last couple of years, if you look back, Peter. But, um, look, power got the win this time uh they defeated the Bulldogs 5-12-42 to 2-6-18. And, uh, look, it was a pretty close contest right throughout. Power did break away in that last quarter. But, um, yeah, look, they'd be pleased with that. Um, it does put Power into fourth spot um, ahead of the Bulldogs, who are now in fifth. Um, goal kickers for the Bulldogs were Griffiths and Barclay. And uh, Power also had individual goal kickers in Beasley, who's a, a youth girl in their under-18s, um, has played in the East Girl system for a while, so good to see her get a game and a goal. Um, Ash McClure, Jemima Riglia, Nat Smith and Brooke Curran were the goal kickers. And, uh, yeah, look, um, it was just a fantastic win for the Power and certainly set them up um, for this push towards finals. And uh, being in the four uh, certainly got incentive to stay in there now, Peter. Talking about the push towards finals, let's have a look at the next round, which is round 14 in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. An all-game schedule will be played uh, this Saturday, the 20th of July. Uh, we begin at 8.45am, kicking the dew off the grass at Trumper Park. Uh, the UTS Bats versus the Inner West Magpies. Yeah, look, this should be a close game, I think. Um, obviously, it's an, uh, an early start, um, it, uh, which is, is never fun, particularly in the middle of winter. Um, but I think UTS uh, might get the win here uh, in a close uh, contest. 11.10am at Village Green, the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs come up against the might of the East Coast Eagles. Yeah, look, I think this is going to be a tough one. Um, Whilst the Bulldogs will enjoy uh, being back at Village Green, um, the Eagles have shown that uh, they're certainly one of the favourites for the Premiership this year, and um, I think the Bulldogs are going to have a tough ask. And uh, Yeah, I think the Eagles will again win comfortably. 11.40am at Sydney Uni, number one oval. It's the Bombers versus the Southern Power. Yeah, look, I think um, this could potentially be the match of the round. Um, I think it's third versus fourth. And uh, it's probably, um, you know, going to be, uh, I think the last time these two sides played, it was a a close one. And, uh, yeah, look, I think it'll be another close one. And uh, I think on the back of their good win against the Bulldogs, I think Power might just get... um, Sydney Uni uh, in a tight game. And finally, 1.10pm at Mahoney Park. It's the Newtown Breakaways versus the Mac Uni Warriors. Yeah, look, I don't think it's uh, going to be much fun for the Breakaways. Obviously, they had a good competitive hit 
hit out in the last round against uh, Inner West Magpies, um, but I think MacUni um, are, are going to win it fairly comfortably. And, uh, you know, we've seen along with the Eagles that uh, they're fairly dominant compared to uh, most other sides in the competition. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us, and we look forward to your company next week when we take a look back at another round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter. To the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition, round 11 played over the weekend, where Clarence 3-5-23 went down to Glenorchy 7-6-48. Lauderdale one behind, were defeated by Tigers 10-19-79, while North Launceston one straight six went down to Launceston 15-9-99. No football this weekend in the TSLW competition. Across the UNSW Canberra first grade women's competition, round 11 played over the weekend. Kangarland Jets 1-4-10 went down to Quimbian Tigers 17 17- 5-107. Ainsley 5-7-37 defeated Tuggeranong Hawks 4-1-25. Well, Eastlake Demons 3-3-21 went down to Balcona Magpies 5-1-31. No AFL Canberra women's football to be played this weekend. Joining us on the line now here at RSN Carnival to take a look back at round 10 of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition, it's our league caller in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Uh, defrosting after the weekend, Pete. It was cold, it was miserable, it was wet uh, where I was. No doubt it was a similar right across the board uh, on the weekend in the Swiss Wellness VFLW competition, which produced some very interesting results, which we'll dissect now. Yes, very on and off the uh, weather across Melbourne, partly sunny, then partly cloudy, and then a little bit of hail to be thrown into the mix. Let's start, first of all, by having a look at the uh, invitational match, Essendon versus the GWS Giants at Tullamarine, the hangar. Yes, it's an, an interesting location. I think it changed a, a couple of times in the lead-up to it. Originally scheduled for Windy Hill in uh, an afternoon slot. They've brought it forward nice and close to the airport, so handy to GWS to, to get the quick plane out of there. Um, competitive scoreline, I, I know you, you were there, Pete, so you, you'd be able to say what the conditions were like during the game. I think they were part, mostly sunny in the morning, so should have had a fairly dry deck. And for Essendon to be competitive, I know GWS have blown their opponents off the park in the preceding three matches uh, that they've had in the Invitational Series. But uh, Essendon was able to keep them in touch and restrict them at least by looking at the scoreline. 5-13-43 to one three nine. I think it's the closest margin out of the four GWS Invitational matches uh, so far. Yeah, you were right. There was a slight sun shower uh, during the game, but uh, otherwise generally fine conditions, but the uh, wind was rather nippy and cold. I think it was 6 degrees Celsius when I got there. Originally, the Tullamarine set up at 8.30am. Uh, I can tell you the goal kickers out of that game, by the way, uh, for the Giants, Parker, Hicks, Schmidt, Privatelli and Mackerel for the Essendon Bombers, uh, their sole goal to Monique DiMatteo. Uh, out of that game, uh, for the GWS Giants to take out of it, everyone seemed to do their role for the day. Nothing flashy. Probably wasted some opportunities on goal. Really should have had maybe 10 or 11 straight. They blew some, but you could put that down to um, Essendon's pressure. I guess uh, for Essendon, uh, the pros and cons coming out of that game, the pros were the defence was excellent. Pressure, 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 pressure constantly on the GWS Giants, which means they couldn't get clean disposal. They had to try and handball sideways to try and get around to open something up. So Essendon can take a lot of credit for their defence. The problem is for Essendon, has been for the last season and a half, is the lack of quality mids to be able to link up with in the middle of the ground and then try and work their way forward to find a tall target. 
added that, we do yeah. mention the stars like Hayley Bullis and Courtney Eugle. Of course, they've been missing through injury and some other stars being rested, including Cecilia McIntosh and Kendra Heil. Yeah, I was just about to say that the midfield wasn't def- uh, wasn't at full strength given the injuries that you just alluded to. And uh, I, I think the, this Invitational Series, I've made the comment a couple of times, it was really obvious when GWS played Melbourne University um, and even Richmond to a lesser extent uh, earlier in the season. I don't think you can read too much into it. I mean, from Essendon, it's a, a great opportunity for someone that doesn't have uh, an AFLW licence as yet. They're... Their focus is on trying to develop the talent in the Northwest Corridor, uh, which seems to be going okay. There's no um, elite players on that list, I would suggest. I know Eugle, Bullis and McIntosh are definitely up there in terms of uh, great players, but I don't think they've got anyone of that X-factor and elite quality that some of the other sides have had. Um, And it's definitely coming up against the GWS side that, He's obviously very experienced when it comes to the elite level of the competition. So it was a good test for them, a good yardstick, and for them to apply defensive pressure when GWS have been very attacking when it comes to scoreboard pressure across their games. I think they should take a big tick out of that, the Bombers, and it continues their development path. It's it's kind of a similar storyline to last year in terms of the win-loss ratio, but I think that the positive for the Bombers this year is that they're at least been uh, much more competitive. They've taken a couple of scalps, so I think they can take a fair bit out of the season. For the Giants, on the other side of the equation, uh, there's two goal kickers that you mentioned when you rattled them off uh, before, Privatelli and Mackerel. We've said it during our coverage when we've done the GWS game throughout the season. Um, they're two quality players. They deserve to be on an AFLW list. It's just a matter of whether they pull on a GWS Giants Guernsey or another Guernsey come uh, early next year for the next season of AFLW. Let's take a look at the games that were played for Premiership points and uh, let's start off with the one where we split them. Two points each. Carlton and Hawthorne tied. 3-6-24 apiece. Yeah, I looked at this result and I thought there was something wrong with my iPad. I'm... Uh, I thought Hawthorne would have been heavy favourites coming into this game. Um, exactly the same scoring shots. Carlton very inaccurate in the first half. Uh, Hawthorne not scoring in the third term. So a very even contest. Hawthorne haven't clicked into gear as they would have liked, is what I'm reading at the moment. I haven't seen them live this year, but just reading the score lines and, and, and how they've been tracking, they haven't quite matched what they were doing uh, last season in the VFLW. And I just wonder whether the weekend's result might be that reality check. They got a similar one against Darabin late last year, which straightened them up in the run into finals. And I just wonder whether the weekend's result um, just is that straightening up again for this Hawthorne side, who have got some quality players uh, in there. Perkins kicked a goal on the weekend. Rosie Dillon kicked a goal. Henderson was their other goal kicker. For Carlton, I think it's finally... They've finally clicked into the gear. They've had some great talent running out onto the park during their VFLW season. They just haven't, for one reason or another, been able to get the results they should be. Gurr kicked two goals on the weekend. Sarah Hosking was the other goal kicker for them. Jay Van Dyke was the leading possession getter on the ground with 27 touches, also laid five tackles. The other Hosking sister, Jess Hosking, racked up 23 touches on the weekend, also took four marks. The Casey Demons versus the Western Bulldogs. Casey 3-2-20 going down to the Bulldogs 4-6-30. And as we talked about during the pregame show on Sunday for leagueteams.com.au, 
We said Casey got off to a great start of the season. Three and zip. Since then, they've lost six games in a row. But they haven't been belted by any means of the imagination. They've been competitive in all six games. For whatever reason, they've just lost the ability to be able to get over the line. And it all started with that loss to the Southern Saints going back two months ago. Yeah, and I think it's it's an accurate reflection of where they are in terms of the list talent. I thought they were probably exceeding expectations when they were sitting up the pointy end of the ladder very early on in the season because you look down at their list, yes, they've got Melbourne AFLW listed players on the park, but they are at the, the lower end, if you like, the more the less experienced the, the youth that's coming through on that list. So it's not like you've got the match-winning experience and the class and composure like your Aliso days, your Karen Paxman's um, around the ball, able to, to take a hold of a game and, and get them through it. It's, it's the younger brigade that is, is trying. And it's probably lapses, I think, in the game that we called a couple of weeks ago up in Bendigo. Um, the lapse in the final term to, to stop the pressure then meant that, that Richmond were able to run away and actually make it look like a, a worse result than what it actually was. I think they are competitive. They're hungry around the footy. They're just missing that little bit of the leadership in the crunch moments that's able to lift the rest of the side because it is very young and uh, not inexperienced, but when it comes to when you're coming up against sides that do have stars in their lineup, uh, it does make it difficult. For the Western Bulldogs on the other side of the equation, probably similar to Casey in a lot of ways, the way their season's tracked. They started winning games, and as I mentioned a couple of times, I wasn't convinced with the way that they were winning. They've had a bit of a form slump. The result on the weekend is obviously positive for them. Jolly kicking two goals. McKay and Scott, the other two goal kickers for Casey Garner, kicked one, Hoare kicked one, and Johnson was the other goal kicker. Uh, Lamb was prominent for the Western Bulldogs, 27 touches, seven tackles. Lily Mithen, uh, in what I believe was her return game for the Casey Demons, uh, racked up 23 touches and laid 12 tackles on the weekend, a handy inclusion. And just going through that list, though, they got Mithen back. Uh, Birch was also playing, so they're just starting to get that, that little bit of extra assistance when it does come to that leadership and experience that uh, I was just talking about. So we go to the next game. Collingwood 9-3-57, defeating Williamstown 4-8-32. Despite the 25-point margin, the Pies didn't have it all their own way. No, they didn't. It uh, was split for possession, uh, largely. 52% in favour of Collingwood, 48 in favour of uh, Williamstown. And looking down at the stats, everything was largely even apart from hitouts that favoured Collingwood heavily. Inside 50s, 24 to 23, so incredibly even. Uh, marks 29 to 22. So there wasn't too much of a gap between the two sides. It just seemed to be the scoreboard pressure. Collingwood more efficient going forward um, and getting the majors when they needed to. Alexander kicking two, Malloy kicking two, Blecker, King, Lambert, Lee, Shevlin, Another even spread of goal kickers for Collingwood. For Williamstown, well, 12 scoring shots. In fact, you look at that, it's 12 scoring shots apiece. So Williamstown, we're in it when it comes to what was happening on the, uh, going inside 50. It's just that they were less accurate than what Collingwood were. Uh, Kawa, Navarro, Stratford and Whiting were Williamstown's goal kickers. Uh, looking at the player stats from the game, Malloy again prominent with 21 touches. Uh, Sophie Casey also racked up 20. The leading possession on the ground for Williamstown was Pedersen with 19. I take real encouraging signs from that. Williamstown 
going up against one of the, if not the favourite, to win the Premiership this year in, in Collingwood, just the way that they've been performing through the mid part of the season. And they were able to match it. They were able to match it around the ground. Okay, conditions may have played a part in nullifying Collingwood and Collingwood might have not had the, the appropriate mentality uh, coming into the game, thinking it would be a walkover. But credit to Williamstown. They're, they've shown some encouraging signs. They're not getting the results on the board, but as we discovered very early on in the season, that wasn't really what they were focused on. They wanted to build a foundation for future success, and I think they're doing that at the moment, and uh, the positive and the, the, the future, sorry, is very bright for them. The Geelong Cats, everyone should be worried. They're a coming. They're building some momentum after a slow start to the season. 3-7-25, knocking off the red-hot Southern Saints, 2-4-16. And let me throw this thought at you, again, which we mentioned on our pregame show on Sunday. Mentioned on the Outer Sanctum podcast, where she was a guest co-host uh, last week, Melissa Hickey is going through some rehab at the moment, and she hopes that she might be back for a handful of games just before the VFLW home and away season ends. Could you imagine a Geelong Cat side sneaking into the finals and then they add in Melissa Hickey? Well, I wouldn't want to play them. I can guarantee that. You don't want to face a Geelong side that's just building very, very nicely into some form. They had a slow start to the season, but they were developing some of their younger talent coming through. They started to get some of their more experienced players back and, uh, if Hickey does return in time uh, just prior to the finals, then watch out because they they could uh, ruffle a few feathers, if you'd like, the Geelong Cats. On the other side of the equation, probably uh, the Southern Saints' worst performance for the season, um, unfortunately for them on the weekend, only to get, kicking two goals for, uh, for, for the matchman and Sheilor were their goal kickers. Maguire kicked two goals for the Cats and Beckley, the other goal kicker there, but... Disappointing result for the for the Southern Saints. They'll be hoping to, to bounce back as one of the other top sides of the competition. Uh, Drennan was their leading possession, possession getter on the weekend with 20 touches, laid 13 tackles as well. Rochelle Cranston, though, led all comers on the field with 21 touches, uh, also laid four tackles, took two marks. So uh, they're just building very, very slowly, the, the Geelong Cats. Watch out, I think, uh, is the sign that's uh, above their head. Then we go to Preston City Oval. Darabin, 4-4-28, defeat the NT Thunder, 3-4-22. I said on air during the pregame show when we asked for tips, it was Paul and Elise that both said the NT Thunder. And I said, after speaking to Michael Erickson during the pregame show... He seemed to be up and about for some reason. He had a bit of pep, a bit of excitement about him. I go, I think he knows they're on. And I tipped Darabin to win by five points. I missed the margin by a solitary point. So is this another week I've got to give you credit for tipping something right, Pete? doesn't have to Absolutely. do often. Absolutely. <laughs> I was just about to say, cue the sound effect and uh, bring out the bottle of champagne because it's probably... Well, you've got it. You've got it right one, uh, twice so far this year. So you're doing better than the preceding five years. Uh, Elise O'Day, uh, Lauren Pierce, Suzgetti, and Wilson were the goal kickers on the weekend for the Darabin Falcons. Jones kicked two. Bed, the go- other goal kicker for the Northern Territory Thunder. I get the sense too that the conditions would have heavily favoured uh, Darabin. I know they've turned over a lot of their list, but they are still the side that really loves that scrap. They like the contested footy. It would have been cold. It would have been windy. It would have been wet um, at Preston City Oval on Sunday. 
and the Northern Territory Thunder, they're a skillful side, they're a quick side. They wouldn't have liked it at all. So Darabin would have relished those conditions on the weekend. And to get the victory um, in what's been a, a, a season of re, readjusting and, and realigning for the Darabin footy club, given that they've lost a lot of talent over the last few years, um, to pull out a performance like that against a side that is in contention at Northern Territory Thunder there or thereabouts, um, a, a great response for the Darabin Falcons. Uh, Hatchard was the leading possession getter on the on the uh, weekend for the Northern Territory Thunder and for the game. Uh, 37 touches, also laid seven tackles, took seven marks. Elise O'Day, in addition to her goal, racked up 33 touches uh, and took six marks for the Falcons. I think uh, pregame I called Elise O'Day. I said she is not the Rolls-Royce of the competition because uh, obviously many players get called the Rolls-Royce of the competition. I called her the Ferrari. I'd like to retract. I reckon Elise O'Day is the 1948 FX Holden, an Australian iconic classic. Uh, there is no doubt about her. She can yeah, she can go through the paddock and take a beating. She is a superstar. And just her class added to the Darabin side. Roving, mind you, off the work of Lauren Pierce. Saw the Falcons... Uh, managed to get that upset over the NT Thunder. The final game of the round. Well, Richmond were flying a fortnight ago. Then they lost a close one to the Western Bulldogs. And me, oh my, did they cop a touch-up from the Melbourne University Muggers. 11-11-77 to 1-3-9. This means, of the two games so far, Sabrina Fredericks played in Tigers' colours, yet to have a victory. You know, I wonder what sort of an omen that is heading towards the AFLW season. Uh, they're a bit nervous if you're a Tigers fan, although I don't think you can read too much into it. I think that's just a bit of uh, uh, fluff that's uh, floating around there from Peter Holden. Um, the Muggers, though, again, similar to the Darabin Falcons, they're a side that likes the contested footy. They like it a bit rough. They like it a bit scrappy, given that they do play at Tin Alley. Uh, which I'm glad this game wasn't there on the weekend because that would have been an absolute mud pit. Um, the Muggers, they, I reckon they, they would have adjusted to the conditions more than what Richmond, who are that more skillful side, um, similar to the Northern Territory Thunder. They like to use the footy. They like to move it quick. Um, they like to finesse it. They, um, they like to be a little finicky with it at times as well. And I don't think uh, they, the conditions would have suited them on the weekend. And once Melbourne University got on a roll... They were hard to stop, really, in the third quarter is when they put the foot down, only one behind coming from Richmond. Uh, uh, what's that? That's six, six scoring shots in the second term there for the Muggers, uh, even spread of, to get to five goals, five. So uh, they put the foot down in that second term and, and didn't look back Melbourne University, which is positive for them. I, I know speaking a couple of weeks ago to Scotty Gowland's um, he, he was not too phased about where they were sitting. He, he did want them to find some consistency and he thought that that would happen over the, the next month or so. And it seems to be starting to click for Melbourne University. And similar to Geelong, they might be a side to watch out if they sneak into the top six. So let's have a look ahead to Round 11 Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Football. Our Saturday match of the day to be confirmed uh, on Sunday. We'll be bringing you Carlton and Williamstown. Keep an eye on WARFradio.com for confirmed start times and uh, matches on both days. But uh, I look through this list and I tell you what, there's not a bad game amongst it. All of the sites evenly matched. We start Saturday, 12 p.m. at Windy Hill. It is 10th versus 11th. Both teams, two wins, six losses. Essendon versus Darabin. 
it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Um, Darabin coming off a, a good performance against the Northern Territory Thunder. Essendon, we know, has been pretty good throughout the season. Um, technically coming off the bye, but they did have the invitational game on the weekend. I'm going to lean towards Essendon, but I wouldn't be surprised if Darabin get up. I'm going to back Darabin in that game. I'm just worried about the injuries that Essendon do have at the moment, even though they put up a really, really good showing against the GWS Giants. Then 2pm at Morwell Recreation Reserve, Collingwood versus Melbourne Uni. This is top of the table versus fifth. Collingwood rolling along nicely, but Melbourne Uni coming in red hot after touching up Richmond. You would have said probably three or four weeks ago, Collingwood would have shooed this in by about 10 goals. Um, They've just been that dominant. Melbourne University looked a little bit lost in the the games that we covered them uh, a month or so ago. Um, Given their result on the weekend, that that might just be the turning point for them. This shapes up to be another 50-50 game, in my opinion. I think Collingwood... Uh, we'll have a bit of fire in the belly, given they probably didn't perform as they would have liked uh, against Williamstown, despite getting the win. Collingwood should win this. But again, like the first game, I wouldn't be surprised if Melbourne University can cause an upset against the top of the table side. So then let's go to Alice Springs, Saturday, 5.30pm. The NT Thunder versus the Casey Demons. Uh, this is sixth versus ninth. Both sides having a very inconsistent season. Yeah, Northern Territory Thunder will be glad to be back in a warmer climate after the weekend, I'm, I'm assuming, and back on a fast deck, so conditions should suit them more. Casey, don't rule them out, but I just don't see them finding a way to get over the line. I think they'll be very competitive. They'll, they'll push it to the Northern Territory Thunder, but as has been the story of this season, I think they'll just lapse one or two times during the game and just be unable to match the pace and the skill of the Northern Territory Thunderside, who should win probably about a two-to-three-goal two to victory. Then on Sunday, 11.30am at Box Hill City Oval, two sides that have been stuttering, Hawthorne versus Richmond. Yes. Well, again, four weeks ago, you would have said Richmond would have been a walk in the park. They, they need to find some form, though, after the weekend's result against Melbourne University. And as I said before in the recap of the games for Hawthorne, maybe the weekend's result for them was a turning point to, to just just click them into gear, get them straight, get them focused on getting the results because they seem to have just been going through the motions for this part of the season. It shapes up as a, a really good contest. I'm going to tip Hawthorne one last time. I think I'm going to give them one last roll of the dice to get their season going. Um, Richmond will be there or thereabouts, uh, depending on who pulls on the Guernsey for them on the weekend. Um, But I think the Hawks should get the job done. If they don't, I won't be tipping them again for the rest of the season. Then we go to Sunday. We believe at this stage it'll be at Icon Park at 2pm. There's just some fixture clashes at the moment, which we're trying to clarify with AFL Victoria as time of recording. Uh, Carlton versus Williamstown. This is second last versus last, the battle of the cellar dwellers. Yeah, look... It's another 50-50 game. Williamstown have been impressive. Carlton haven't been doing what we think they can do. Um, do they fire up? Do they get confidence out of the draw on the weekend? Who knows? Williamstown uh, will fight hard. They'll scrap hard. And if they can just uh, combat Carlton uh, around the, the contest and, and get 
similar scoring opportunities like they get to Collingwood and hopefully be a little more accurate. They'll definitely be in the game. Carlton should win. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if Williamstown is able to cause an upset. And then finally, at uh, Trevor Barker Beach Oval, Sunday, 3.10pm, this is second versus fourth. This is the Southern Saints versus the Western Bulldogs. And according to my mail, I believe that Danny Marshall, the American, who's been signed to the Bulldogs to play AFLW for them, played three VFLW games earlier in the year for them, will be back in Melbourne this weekend to play in this match. Isn't that ironic, given the Saints were one of the other clubs rumoured to be interested in Marshall's uh, interesting timing, I'll I'll say to that. Uh, Southern Saints should get back on the winner's list. I think they'll be bitterly disappointed with what uh, happened on the weekend to them. Uh, They should bounce back. The Western Bulldogs, again, they're they're a side that's hard to read based on who they're bringing in and out of the the, the side that takes to the field. So I'm, I'm not... I've not been confident with the Bulldogs, and I'm still not confident with them. I'm going to lean the way of the Southern Saints to bounce back on the weekend. And Geelong having the bye for the round. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your company again this weekend for the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. Yeah, looking forward to it. And Geelong catch with the bye for round 11. And that almost wraps things up here for Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival for yet another week. Just a reminder of our VFLW matches of the day coming up this weekend. On Saturday morning from 11am, we'll be at Windy Hill in Essendon to bring you Essendon versus the Darabin Falcons and then on Sunday from 9.30am at Icon Park in Carlton to bring you Carlton versus Williamstown. Those two games live on RSN Carnival 2 that's digital radio right throughout Melbourne the VFL app and WARFradio.com Until next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, I'm Peter Holden thanks for your company and it's bye for now